Hello, welcome to the City of Roseville podcast, Roseville Connections. I'm Brian Jacobson, Roseville's Public Information Officer. If you live in Roseville or have followed news from Roseville, chances are you've heard from our guest dozens of times without realizing it. Dee Dee Gunther was the Public Information Officer for the Roseville Police Department for more than 20 years. She spent her entire 33-year career working for the police department before retiring earlier this year. During that time, she's seen Roseville grow and change. She's experienced firsthand floods, tragedy, heartwarming reunions, not the most intelligent of criminals, and peacocks. She worked through seismic changes in the way local media covers news and the emergence of social media, completely changing the way police agencies communicate both emergency and day-to-day information to their communities. Hey, Didi. Thanks for taking time out of your busy retirement schedule for being here. Hi, Brian. Hi. It, was, it was hard to carve out any time, but I managed. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so when did you first come to Roseville? I came to Roseville in the fall of 1985. I had been living up in Klamath Falls, Oregon, working for the Klamath County Sheriff's Office. And I wanted, frankly, more social opportunities and to live in, near a bigger city. So, And I had some friends in Rockland. So they kind of helped me do a job hunt here. And that's how I came to Roseville PD. You started with the Roseville Police Department as a dispatcher. Did you always want to work in law enforcement? No, I did not. I actually went to school to be an English teacher, and I taught school for one truly terrible year up in Tule Lake, California, and uh, realized that that was not the career for me, at least at that time. I was only 22, 23 years old. So, and I didn't really know what else to do with myself, so I looked for a job and the sheriff was hiring dispatchers, so I tried for it, and I got it, and I liked it. Within weeks of starting, Roseville experienced a major flood, so you hit the ground running. I did. There was a very, very big flood. I think it was in December of that year, probably, knowing our, our rain patterns, and it was huge. I don't know if people who have moved here recently realize how catastrophic flooding used to be in Roseville before the city did all the flood improvements. Uh, big swaths of the city were underwater at that time, and we, we were hammered with calls. We would typically only have one or maybe two dispatchers working at a time, you know, catching all the calls and also handling all the radio traffic. And we had a lot of people calling in, uh, some with genuine emergencies because their house was going underwater or people were stranded and others that were looking for directions to work or trying to find out if the stores and the schools were going to be open the next day. So part of, uh, at the time, Roseville had actually had a zoo in Royer Mm -hmm. Park and the floodwaters were threatening the zoo. Correct. I don't remember if it was my first flood or my second flood, but it was all in the same year. And people may not know that we used to have a little zoo in Royer Park. At the time that I joined the city, they were trying to um, decommission the zoo. So they were in the process of trying to find homes for all the animals because it was a very small zoo and it wasn't the greatest place for the animals. Uh, The city had two bears, Brutus and Ursula. During this flood, they had had to climb up to the top shelves of of their cage you know, seeing the water come up and people were trying to figure out how to rescue Brutus and Ursula. Eventually, uh, somebody went out there with a boat, they sedated the bears and were able to evacuate them. Uh, But it was kind of scary for a while because people were having, the responders were having to make choices between human life and and animal life. And they weren't sure they would be able to save the bears, but everybody's really glad they did. The bears eventually relocated to the Folsom Zoo, thanks to a young man who raised money to make that happen. So at the time, not only was there a zoo in Roseville, mm-hmm. but there was a number of peacocks roaming around Royer Park and, and Vernon Street. 
correct that they were supposed to stay in Royer Park. They were a feature of Royer Park. But in the spring, when romance was in the air, the peacocks would, would leave Royer Park and they would go out. And every once in a while, we'd get a call that the, the peacocks were strutting down the middle of Vernon Street, stop, stopping traffic. The other thing they would do is, um, at that time, the police department was in the public safety building, 401 Oak Street. Used to be Station 1. It's not Station 1 anymore. But they would go roost on the steps of Station 1. And I was kind of scared of birds. And when peacocks are roosting, they kind of pull all their feathers in and they sink their head down and they look kind of like vultures. And it was pretty creepy sometimes walking up between that column of peacocks looking at me when I went to work. <laughs> That's not something that happens to most police officers or, or people who work in the police department. It is not. Yeah. So and the peacocks continued to roam around Pe- Royer Park until I think they probably bit one too many kid. And then I think somebody relocated them to a farm or something like that. Better for them. Yes. So how did you move from being a dispatcher into communications? Well, it was kind of a gradual process. I, I wanted an opportunity. I eventually um, became an administrative analyst. So I was part of the chief's office doing a lot of research and finance, and I was doing the budget back in those days and things like that. And they needed somebody to deal with the media. Back in those days, reporters would come into the police department every day and ask for, to review the press log, and a lot of times they would have questions about reports that they saw or arrests that they saw. And so they just needed somebody to be able to look up those reports and sit down with the reporter and go over the information with them. And also to do press releases when we had a major event. And I was very interested in that. So I volunteered for it. And uh, then 20 years later. 20 years later, you never know what might happen when you volunteer for stuff. Yeah. One of the darker days in Roosevelt's history and certainly for the Roosevelt Police Department was in 1995 when Officer Mark White was shot and killed. At the time it happened, I was sitting in a little conference room not too far from the front lobby with the then police chief Tom Sims and then Sergeant Rocky Rockholm. And we were talking about, I think, a grant that we had for community policing. Uh, Mark was actually one of our community policing officers. He was assigned to the files in Cherry Glen neighborhoods. Um, And so we were sitting in this conference room talking late on a Friday afternoon when we heard, to me, I haven't been around a lot of gunfire, and it sounded like somebody had set off firecrackers somewhere. Uh, But the two actual cops in the room reacted very differently. Um, They jumped up, they pulled out their guns, and they went out of the room. And then I realized something terrible had happened. I actually hid under the table for a while, and then I didn't hear any more shots, so I made my way back to dispatch. Dispatch was a literally an old bank vault. It was a very secure area, and so that's where I went. It was a pretty horrible day. How how did that day affect the police department? And um, it, it still affects the city. Uh, you know, I've worked here for 13 years. I wasn't there at, at the mm-hmm. time that this happened, but I still know the story. People still talk still talk about that day, and still talk about Officer White. So it, it really has had a lasting impact on the city and on the department. It really has. I know when somebody passes away, everybody always tells stories about what a great guy that person was. In Mark's case, all those stories are true. He was just an awesome person, a good cop, very, very close to his neighborhood. He'd made a lot of friends there, very personal, had sat in their kitchen, and he was always looking for something to eat. So it was was natural that he would find his way into neighbors' kitchens. But, you know, he was real close to the community, and I think it was just a shock for everybody because people didn't think something like that could happen in our safe Roseville. 
anytime you work with crime and victims of crimes, there's going to be heartbreaking stories like of Officer White. Uh, but there's also some heartwarming stories when you work for the police department. Yes, there are. There's Occasionally, there's some stories that really reaffirm your faith in humanity. There was a lady who lived in Roseville, and she was having some problems. She lived in one of our single-room boarding hotels for a while, and she had mental illness. And as her illness progressed, eventually she lapsed into homelessness. Her family was from another country, and every once in a while, somehow they found my contact information on the internet. And so uh, her sister would email me and ask me to try to track down the sister because they were very worried about her. And one time when she was still, when she still had a home, I was able to reach her on the phone and ask her to call her family because they were worried about her. Uh, another time when she had lapsed into homelessness, I asked Officer Flood, who was our homeless officer back then, to, to find her. And he was familiar with her. He, he kind of knew where everybody hung out. And so he went out and found her and uh, got her phone out and dialed the number and, and made sure that she talked to her family. Well, this family was just determined to bring her back home to their country. And if you can imagine, anybody who's ever gotten a passport or any kind of government document knows how challenging it is. You've got to accumulate a lot of paperwork, and you've got signatures and, and backup documents and all kinds of things that have to happen. Well, imagine trying to do that for somebody who is struggling with mental illness and is half a world away. They did it. They worked with some social service agencies here in Roseville. I, I think the Salvation Army helped them and also the Gathering Inn. And they, from long distance, assisted their sister in renewing her passport. Uh, she had a little dog that she was, that was a deal breaker. She was not going to leave her dog behind. And so they were able to get a certificate of health for her dog. And eventually, over a period of a few months, they got all her paperwork in order and managed to fly her back home. And I'm so I'm thrilled with them because they, they still email me once in a while and let me know how she's doing. And, and she's just flourishing at home. She's getting all the mental health services she needs. She is so much better. Uh, she has gone back to work. She previously was a professional, and she was able to update her licensing and go back to work as a professional, living with a family member, going on vacations. The, the pictures of her are incredible. She looks like she's dropped about 20 years and it's, it's just really heartwarming to see what the love and determination that family did for that person. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And stories like that make a, a difficult job a little easier. It sure does because we see so many sad things. And it's wonderful to see that uh, with love and determination, people can turn their lives around. Well, a sense of humor also helps make the job a little bit easier. And uh, I've always thought that we're lucky that uh, there's a lot of criminals who don't always think things through. Uh, maybe you can tell some stories about some of those folks. Yeah, we've said many, many times that if if they were smart, we'd be in be really big trouble. Um, but uh, fortunately, a lot of them aren't. They're just people that are making a lot of silly mistakes. And a lot of times, thanks to drugs and, and things like that, they make some really bad choices. Um, I remember one time I worked upstairs in the police department. This is the police department where we are now in Junction. And we had a good view from upstairs down to the parking lot. Well, one day, a, a city of Roseville, he was actually an IT employee, was, co was coming over to the police department to help us with a computer problem. And so he was sitting out in the public parking lot. And he saw a guy, like, two cars down that was snorting 
drugs on the on top of his car. And so he he called dispatch and let him know, and he kind of hunkered down and kept an eye on the guy. And of course, we all kind of crowded the front windows upstairs to watch him. <laughs> if we'd had popcorn, we would have made popcorn and and watched the show. But uh, th- this guy was indeed doing lines on top of, on top of the hood of his car. Outside the police department. In, in the pub- public parking lot of the police department, he had come with some friends to get a car out of out of impound, and uh, they were inside having some problems doing that. <clears throat> and so he was outside, and I guess he got bored or something. So he decided to, to do some lines. I think I think he was doing meth or something like that. And so we watched him. He kind of bounded up the steps to the police department, quite energized, taking two or three steps at a time, wiping his nose with his sleeve. And he was met by some detectives. So <laughs> they, uh, they checked him out and then they were able to walk him over to jail. As I said in our opening, uh, the way cities and police departments communicate with the public is radically different from 20 years ago or even 10 years ago with the reduction in staff on local TV stations and newspapers and the rapid increase of social media. Uh, how has that changed what you did in your work for the police department? Oh, my goodness. The, the change has been huge. When I first started, we our focus was almost always on responding to media requests. We maintained a press board, which was a copy of all the arrests and you know major crimes at the front counter. And two or three different news agencies would come into our front counter every morning to review the press board and ask questions. Uh, the B had a whole Roseville Bureau back then with a couple of crime reporters, local reporters, business reporters, um, an editor, an advertising staff. And so they had a very strong local presence. The Press Tribune published daily. So there was just a huge, much, much more demand from the media back in those days. And then unfortunately, especially print journalism has had to shrink back so much. And the news agencies that we have now in our area, they're focused on the whole Sacramento region. So you have to kind of jump up and down and wave your arms a little bit sometimes to get the media's attention. So we really changed our focus through social media from being a, to being a provider of news so that our local community could have news about what's going on in the city and from the police department what's going on crime-wise because if we didn't provide that information, nobody would. The interaction that, that you had uh, with people, with residents, uh, within social media, mm-hmm. was also created connections that may not have been there earlier. True. The great thing about social media is it's, it's a two-way conversation. And so we developed a lot of followers, especially to our Facebook page, and a lot of people that really felt like they were a member of the Roseville Police Department family. They were extremely interested in all our news, big stuff and little stuff. A lot of times they had something to say about it. And that was great feedback for us. You know, we would find out how the public might be reacting to an event, um, if there were unanswered questions that we needed to address or misconceptions that we could that we could try to fix and kind of what they were interested in. So the, the, the two-way give and take of the conversation was wonderful. And you also would get uh, crime tips. We did. It Social media has become a huge tool in fighting crime. Uh, a lot of times... Um, nowadays, uh, video surveillance has gotten a lot better, and then with, with social media, we're able to throw a picture up there of, of a suspect, and a lot of times within the, the first day, somebody will conduct their detective with a tip. And these are crimes that in the past would, would never have gotten solved unless one of our de- officers happened to know and recognize the person. Um, talk a little bit about Million Hit Matt. People in Roseville are intensely interested in traffic. It's a huge 
interest here. And so every once in a while, we would do a little video with our one of our motor officers answering a question about some some traffic thing. So Officer Matt Janney is one of our motor officers, and we ask a question about lane splitting. And so he provided a short description of the laws in California on lane splitting and what people need to be careful of, meaning when a motorcycle will like ride up in the same lane right next to a car. That's legal in California. It's not legal everywhere else. Well, oh my goodness, that little video got shared and shared and shared and shared, and it became the first thing we'd ever produced that actually had a million hits on social media. I, I think every motorcycle fan from here to Canada and back had something to say about that. And I think that's a, what's amazing about social media is you're able to, to spread information, good information, uh, important information, good. <laughs> uh, far and wide. And so a lot of people yeah. can really can really get that in, in ways that perhaps they wouldn't have otherwise. Definitely. It's also been instrumental in solving some crimes, even apart from social media. For example, the, the train hopper homicide was solved um, because of tracking of social media all over the United States. And so the people who were ultimately charged with the crime uh, were on social media, and that's how you were able to track them down. Is that correct? Correct. You'd be surprised who's on social media, and there are whole underground social media forums for people who ride the rails, and that's was a played a huge role in the solving of that case. For those who don't know, uh, can you describe exactly what happened on the rail hopping crime that you're talking about? It was just the saddest crime. There was a young man who lived in Southern California. He was 19 years old, and he wanted to go on an adventure, and so he decided to do a kind of a bucket list thing of riding the rails up north. Uh, unfortunately, he fell in with some very, very bad freight train riders here in Roseville at one of our remote railroad camps, and uh, they killed him. These people were from other places. They rode the rails all over the country, and so it was a really challenging crime to solve. So in your time here in Roseville, not just with the Roseville Police Department, mm -hmm. but how have, how have you seen Roseville change? When I first moved to the city in 1985, Roseville had 23,000 people. The big new public works project that everybody was very excited about was the Lead Hill Overcrossing because it provided another way to get from the older part of Roseville over to new East Roseville without going through the dreaded Douglas Sunrise intersection. Uh, the big new shopping center that everybody was very excited about was Mervyn's. Everybody shopped at Mervyn's. There were no movie theaters in town. If you wanted to go to a movie, the closest one was the Cinema Domes on Greenback Lane. There were very few restaurants in town. I think there was Sizzler, Denny's, and then um, some mom-and-pop restaurants. So quite a different city back then. But it was still had the same feeling of being a great hometown, uh, people that cared passionately about the, communi the community, and a, a real emphasis on high-quality development. So what's next for you? Well, I'm having a surprising amount of fun. I honestly thought that I would have a meltdown after I retired, you know, after working my whole life and working here for Roseville for 32 and a half years. I thought I would wake up the next Monday morning and just go into a crying jag, you know, wondering what in the world I was going to do with myself. And it really hasn't been that way at all. I'm really enjoying uh, doing water aerobics at the, in at the Mike Shelato Indoor Pool and uh, doing more work with my church. And I'm, I'm having fun. Well, thank you, Didi. Uh, working with you for the past 10 years, yeah. uh, it's obvious how much you care about the Roseville Police Department, uh, the people who work there, and the city of Roseville, and all the, everybody who, who lives here. 
Uh, so thank you very much for all the things that you've done for the city and for the police department. Thank you for having me over, Brian. It's been a pleasure to work with all of you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and listen to our future episodes. There are several other ways to connect to your city. We have multiple accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Nextdoor. We also have many free electronic newsletters on many different topics, including job openings, public safety news, city events, and more. Go to roseville.ca.us connect to sign up. Again, I'm Brian Jacobson. Have a nice rest of your day.